Hi, this is Colin McCallan. Thank you for listening. Please do us a favor and leave us a five-star review wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe so that you don't miss any future episodes. Thank you. Welcome to Is This Legal? Here are your hosts, attorneys Colin McCallan and Russell Hebbets. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Is This Legal? My name is Russell Hebbets. I'm here with my partner, Colin McCallan, coming to you from sunny Denver, Colorado. And today, we have a very full episode for you. We are going to be unpacking the Derek Chauvin trial, which just recently wrapped up. And we have a new segment where we have a guest on and play Is This Legal? So make sure you tune in, buckle your seatbelt. It's going to be a fun ride. So we, back on episode 32, we covered the George Floyd tragedy. So if anyone hasn't listened to that, you should go back and listen to that. That kind of goes through all the ins and outs of the tragic death of George Floyd at the hands of police officer Derek Chauvin. Well, today was the return of the verdict on that trial. Derek Chauvin pled not guilty. He was facing three counts, and those are the counts we went over back in episode 32, and the jury just came back, and they just came back guilty on all three counts. That's correct. This was about a month-long trial, and... um testimony wrapped up last week, closing arguments for a couple of days ago. Uh, actually, what they, yesterday. yesterday. Uh, and so the jury was about for less than 24 hours. Which, for a case this long, that is a very fast jury uh, yeah, verdict. Yeah, I would, that, that's a very fast verdict. I, what, you know, you, 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 can, you can only infer so much not being in the actual room, but I would venture to say most of the jurors were in agreement from the beginning that deliberation started just because normally if, if there was more of a deadlock issue or a, uh, if, if people were hung up on the charges, that's where you typically see days long verdicts. This was definitely not that. Right. And, you know, Colin and I were talking about this before the verdict came back and, you know, we were, we were mostly in agreement with how they were going to come back. Um, I thought absolutely they were going to come back on the two lesser charges, the second-degree manslaughter and the third-degree murder, and I thought that that was almost 100%. The second-degree murder, I thought maybe a little tougher, um, but I still thought that they would come back guilty. And, you know, it's probably a good thing for social peace and order in Minnesota. Right. That's true. Let's really quickly break down the charges. Again, we did this in episode 32 just after uh, uh, Derek Chauvin was charged. But now that he's actually been convicted, let's just do a a kind of a quick recap. Second degree murder, uh, it's called second degree unintentional murder. Um, We have heard, we, we see that called felony murder in other states. But essentially what this is, is this is where you have the unintended killing of any person during the commission of a felony. So basically, if Derek Chauvin is committing a felony and someone dies in the commission of that felony, he's guilty and has been found guilty of second-degree murder. And that's irrespective of intent. Yeah. So th- this we're not talking about an intentional killing here. Yeah. So what, what he did intend to do, though, was assault George right. Floyd. 
And the minute he assaulted George Floyd with intent and George Floyd died, it doesn't matter if he needed to, if he intended to kill him. Yep. So that's what the verdict, that's what the verdict means. He is guilty of second degree murder. Then Russ, there was a third degree murder. Yeah. So third degree murder is the basically again, unintentional killing. So unintentionally causing death while committing an eminently dangerous act with reckless disregard for human life. That's right. That is the definition of third degree murder. So that is uh, slightly lower. If you've, if you're a listener from past podcasts, you know the lower the number for crimes, <laughs> the worse it is. Right. So we're up to three instead of two. But that is still that's still murder. That's yeah. still a felony murder conviction. And then there was one more charge out there, right? Yeah, second degree manslaughter, which was the uh, it's the, it's a felony, but it it was uh, certainly compared to the others. Uh, uh, one of one of the more relative minor charges, but this is essentially a charge that says uh, through that uh, uh, Derek Chauvin through criminal negligence caused George Floyd's death, um, and it, it's kind of a negligence standard. Basically, they're saying that he did not did not act with due care. Right, he took an unreasonable risk. Exactly is what they're saying, and so all three of those are now returned. And they are guilty. Yeah. So let's let's go through, Colin, how the prosecution approached this case, how the defense approached this case. Right. Um, well, three words for the prosecution, I think, and would, would summarize their case. Video, video, video. Um, I, you know, I, I haven't seen the video since uh, the video, you know, first became public back almost a year ago. But I can tell you, and of course, if any of you have seen the video, you know how how awful and horrible it is. Gut wrenching, and you know, um, it, it's one of those things. It shows exactly what happened, right? Really, in all aspects. <laughs> I mean, we we actually, it's crazy because we I, we actually might have commented about this uh, during the last podcast we did on this case. But we're living in a world where murders can be documented, and this 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 murder which we can now call it that officially was documented by multiple cameras, um, multiple angles, multiple angles. I mean, there, there was really no dispute in terms of what happened. I think that the, the, the debate in the case was where was the intent on the part of Mr. Chauvin? What was he doing? Was he restraining someone or was this a murder? Right. Was it justified or not essentially? And you know, the prosecution did exactly what they needed to do, okay? They needed to just hammer that video, and they spent a whole lot of time, the whole first third of their trial, and that that third took more than a third time-wise, just going through witness after witness who saw it and who videoed it and how they reacted to it. That's right, Russ. And, you know, the video in this case was, was, was just devastating to the defense. It really was. Um, another thing that I think was <clears throat> devastating to the defense was the medical experts for the state uh, were, were pretty uniform in confirming causation, specifically saying that George Floyd died as a result of actions of the police officers. Um, you know, we'll, we'll talk about the defense later, but that was something that they really, really shored up. They're like, look, 
but for Derek Chauvin putting his knee on George Floyd's death for nine min- uh, on, on his neck for nine minutes, his death would have been avoided. Right. And that's one of two things the pros- prosecution absolutely had to do. They had to nail down causation, which you just referenced, and then they had to nail down that the force that Chauvin used was not appropriate. Legitimate, appropriate, right. Right. was not sanctioned. That's not how police officers are supposed to use force. Exactly. And they did that. They put on supervisors with the department. They put on use of force experts. And so the prosecution, their job was simple. They didn't muddy the water. They didn't wander too far afield. They hammered home causation. They hammered home his actions were not appropriate. And then they said, here's the video. Right. Let's let's listen to this Poor man saying, I can't breathe yeah. 27 times. You know, we, we lawyers, we try to lawyers, we, we always try and see if we can use a clever catchphrase that goes back to the jury room that kind of encapsulates your case. And the prosecution did that in this case. They kept saying, believe your eyes, believe your eyes. You're, you know, you're watching the video. You, you don't be distracted by anything else. Just watch the video, look at the video. And I think that's, you know, where the prosecution was successful. Now let's shift gears a little bit. Let's talk about defense strategy here. Um, Russ, um, you know, use of force, obviously we're talking about a police officer here. Uh, that was something that they made a really big deal about in defending Derek Chauvin, right? They they did, and that was that was smart of them to do that. You know, they have to they have to find some way to justify his actions, right? And if the use of force that he used was reasonable, then we have we 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 don't have a murder anymore. Now we have an appropriate use of force. So what they did is they basically said, "Hey, jury, you watched this nine plus minute video all these times, but what you didn't see is the almost seventeen minutes right before that led up to why Officer Chauvin did what he did." That, that's correct. You know, they what they decided to do was turn it around a little bit and 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 asked the jury to look at George Floyd uh, and look at George Floyd's lifestyle. You know, they, they made reference to the fact that he had uh, some medications in his system that may have contributed to his death. They, they, that he had a blood, uh, was it high blood pressure? It was a heart condition. Uh, it, it was some sort of heart condition that he had uh, that also could have contributed to his death. And basically they're saying, you know, in, in conjunction with, with, with those other factors, we've got Derek Chauvin who is in the moment, he's in the middle of a hostile crowd. Right. People are deriding him. They, you know, th- this, this situation could explode at any minute. He was basically doing what he thought was right to restrain this man under the conditions. That was essentially what the defense was trying to say. Yeah, and they basically did two things there. They, they said his use of force, given all those circumstances, was reasonable. And um, George Floyd... You can't prove causation because he had fentanyl in his system. He had methamphetamines in his system. He had a heart condition. I mean, they basically said all of these things factored into his death. It wasn't the knee on the throat, you know, and, and really looking at it, I mean, you have to attack it somehow, but those are just tough cells. Mm -hmm. It's tough cells. The first point you made, like this is in the action of the moment. It was, you know, you didn't see the 16 and a half minutes before. I can see that if it took 30 seconds for him to die. Right. Not 
if it took nine minutes. Nine yeah. minutes. No, I, I, I agree. I, I was wondering, just kind of watching this thing unfold before the jury announced their verdict, I was wondering how much, I guess, uh, credit uh, would be given Officer Chauvin given the fact that he's a police officer. Like, does, does that factor in here? Does the fact that he was... Uh, trying to arguably trying to control what he deemed to be an unruly subject. Well, uh, I mean, I tell you, historically, it does matter, right? Right. I mean, we've, we've ta- talked about this. Yeah, it, 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 historically, it does matter. We we've seen um, murder verdicts fail against police officers who kill others in the line of duty and and fail at an extraordinarily high yeah. rate. Officers have gotten acquitted for so much, so much more likely for an officer to get acquitted of a violent offense than your average Joe off the street. It's the, the stats are staggering. Right. So, so let's, let's talk a little bit about why Derek Chauvin didn't testify. Oh, but, this is great. But, but before we do this, let's take a quick break and head to our brand new interview segment where our guest tells nothing but the truth and they get to play Is This Legal? Our guest this week is nationally renowned, nationally renowned chef and restaurateur Tom Kuhill. Chef Tom's latest endeavor is Kuhill's Restaurant on Cherry Creek in downtown Denver, across from the Pepsi Center. So it is the perfect place to pop in before or after a game or concert and try his world-famous crab cakes. Chef Kuhill, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me on. Welcome, Chef. How are you? This is Colin McCallan. And uh, um, kind of just to dive right into it, man, we would uh, love to have you uh, talk to our listeners uh, in our Nothing But The Truth section, where we invite you to tell us a little bit about a, a legal situation or story that you were involved in where things got legal for you. So, Tom, what do you got for us today? Well, you know, owning a restaurant, there's always opportunities for legal uh, issues. So uh, we had one, probably the most interesting one that we had was in 1996, we had a restaurant in Atlanta, Georgia, called Cibolette. It was a little French restaurant, 85 seat, kind of really cool, fine dining restaurant. And we had a, uh, a table of four come in, uh, two doctors and their wives, and um, they ordered and the, one of the doctors ordered the bouillabaisse, which is a fish stew, basically, and from the south of France. So it's got mussels in the shell and clams and oysters and shrimp and lobster and fish. And then it's a broth made with fish. I mean, my and, mouth's uh, watering already. Yeah. So it's like uh, it's like a, it's a, it's a, I'm, I'm, it's kind of like a chipino, like an elaborate version of a chipino, which has a lot of shellfish and things in it. So he ordered this. And uh, full dining room, Saturday night, everything's going great. He stands up after he eats the, the one guy that ordered the, the bully base, stands up, passes out, starts having a, a seizure on the floor. Oh, my gosh. That's scary. And, the, uh, and, the, uh, and, the, and, the, and so the whole table stands up, the waiter runs over, and the wife's, you know, leaning over him saying, I told you not to eat shellfish. You know you're not supposed to eat shellfish. So... Anyway, the ambulance comes, he leaves, uh, and this is a doctor, mind you. And uh, a week later, we get the lawsuit. You know, the lawsuit was that he ordered a vegetable plate and he got this dish, which was bouillabaisse, 
that he thought was a vegetable plate and he ate it. So he ate the lobster out of the shell, the mussels out of the shell and all the fish, <laughs> ate the whole thing. And we were negligent because we sent him something he was allergic to when he ordered a vegetable plate. Wow. So, wow. Uh, it, it went to, uh, you know, the insurance company took over and uh, went through a little bit of this and that. And then I think the judge didn't even, uh, it, summary judgment said this is not legitimate because yeah, two reasons. One is your wife, there's a witness, a couple witnesses to your wife saying you shouldn't have eaten shellfish. And it's not reasonable to say that you got served shellfish and, you, and you're allergic to shellfish and you ate them out of the shell. So, so, so Tom, wow. you're not normally serving your broccoli and Brussels sprouts stuffed inside <laughs> lobster tails and clams. Is that what I'm I hearing? Mean, that, that would be an interesting concept. <laughs> no, a vegetarian would be too friendly to that kind of uh, presentation, but it, it was, it was, uh, it was, it was, it was just silly. It was almost like, yeah, you yeah. really you, you think, see- you still had to deal with that, though. You probably still had to use yeah. a lawyer and have him take a good look at it. I mean, well, I'm glad well, that uh, justice prevailed. It, it was ended, yeah, exactly. Turns, it, but, it, it but. ended the right way. Yeah. All right, Tom. Now is the time for our segment. Is this legal? You are our next contestant, Chef Tom Kuhill. And what's how it works, Tom, is we're going to give you a legal scenario. You are going to tell us whether or not what transpired in that scenario is legal. Are you ready? Yeah, shoot. All right. So a husband and wife are arguing. It is a heated argument, and the husband is getting more and more frustrated. Finally, he picks up, picks up a plate that they got for a wedding gift, and says, you make me so mad. And he just throws the plate straight down on the ground, shattering the plate. Now, Tom, I want to be clear. He didn't throw it at his wife. He threw it straight down and it broke and shattered all over. Mm-hmm. Is he legal in doing that? Legal and what, what, criminally. What's, what's the charge? What's the, that, what's that's, that, is, that is what the question is to you, Tom. Is there a charge? And <laughs> did he break the law? Did he break the law? Did he break the law by, by saying, you make me so mad and threw the plate on the ground, not at her? Yes. I would say probably, but I, I wouldn't agree with it. The only reason I would say it would be because she felt threatened, but I, I don't think that would be accurate. I, 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 I can't imagine that he would win it, but or she would win that case, but... I would think that she, she would say she felt threatened by that. Okay. So, by threatening right. her would be illegal. All right. All right. So that actually would be domestic violence, um, certainly in Colorado, probably most places, because it would be destruction of property. So it wouldn't be the threat because he said, you make me so mad. That's not a threat to her. He didn't mm-hmm. throw the plate at her, but he broke something. He broke something that was marital property, and that is destruction of property or criminal mischief. And that, because it involved, it happened when there was a domestic dispute, that would be domestic violence. Um, so that is not legal. So I was right. right. You were correct. Well, my it's, question is, if, 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 if what, what would be the, um, what would they be charging him with, domestic violence? 
Yeah, they'd that's a be great question. It would be a criminal mischief would be the charge, which is what we call destruction of property. That's the underlying charge. And because the case involved your domestic spouse or someone that you're in a relationship with, that that's what makes it domestic violence. Now, Tom, I agree with you. Um, I think it is a pretty silly case. I've seen versions of that case before in the criminal justice system, and often they get dismissed. But it still could land you uh, in a jail cell and yeah. uh, get you charged. So. Yeah, but and and to your point, Tom, like saying that, you know, he didn't threaten her, that's relevant, you know, because he wouldn't be charged with, you know, assault or attempted assault. To right. your point, you were correct on that. But because he broke something, it'd be that destruction of property. Yeah. Well, Tom, before we let you go, we wanted to give you the opportunity to plug anything that you want to plug. Is there anything you want to tell our listeners that they should be doing and can't miss out on? Yeah, we, we just... Um... We, with a lot of other restaurants, have just reopened a few months ago uh, and in dealing dealing with the COVID distancing and spacing and everything, which has been going pretty well. Um, and now the playoffs are coming up. And, and unfortunately, the Nuggets uh, lost Jamal Murray, but the uh, Avalanche are going to probably go pretty deep. And we're right across the street from the Pepsi Center. We get a lot of business before these games. So we'll be doing a lot of pre-concert when, when they allow concerts at the Pepsi Center and pre-playoff game business. So if you're going to come for that, you might want to make a reservation. We had a lot of people walking in on the last game, last avalanche game, and they couldn't get in because they're not making reservations. Wow, so gotcha. during COVID, when you have, even though we're 100% occupancy, it's 100% at six foot table distancing, which is really like 50%. Because right. you can't make tables in. So, well, so I, make a reservation is my, my recommendation, wherever you're going to go, because you, you, these people walking up think they can come right in. They, we're full, you know. Right. So you you heard it, everyone out there, visit Koo Hills and get there early and have a cocktail because they're awesome. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, hey Tom, thank you so much for coming on. We wish you the best. No worries. Talk to you guys later. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye. All right, welcome back, everyone. So let's talk about why the defense did not put Officer Derek Chauvin on the stand, Colin. <laughs> if I'm the defense attorney, I am thinking. I mean, my only shot is to somehow try to have this guy explain what was going on in his mind as he knelt on George Floyd's neck for nine plus minutes. So before we get into the specifics of of this case, this is something that Russ and I talk about constantly Uh, with any trial that we have pending. We are constantly evaluating do we put the client on the stand or not? Right. And I can always tell you this is a very difficult decision. It's a very calculated decision. And, and honestly, every case is different. Um, you know, Russ and I really have had, had many cases where we have put defendants on. We've left clients off the stand. And honestly, I don't know if we've really identified rhyme, uh, rhyme or reason to whether or not one approach has more success than another approach. It really depends on the case. But I think uh, coming back down to this case, Russ and I are in square agreement that the defense missed an opportunity by uh, not calling Derek Chauvin to the stand. Right. Some some obvious reasons to not call someone to the stand. The biggest obvious reason is if they have a felony conviction. Right. Okay. If you have a, fe- a client with a felony conviction. That comes in. Yeah, that it, comes in. You get to, everyone gets to talk about it. 
because it goes to the credibility yeah, of right. the witness. Any witness, not just a defendant, yeah. any witness out there, if they have a felony, everyone gets to talk about it. So he's a, he's a cop. He clearly does not have a felony conviction. Right. So like the easy out is not that out for him. So, you know, from, from my perspective, there's very little reason to have him invoke his Fifth Amendment right to not testify in a case of this magnitude. Now, he'll be he'll be exposed to pretty significant cross-examination, right? Right. And but in in but 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 that doesn't matter. Right? I mean, here here's here's what I'm looking at here. I mean, this guy has been public enemy number 1 yeah. in the country for about a year. I mean, you you, you look at all of the protests that happened last year and everything that's been going on in the last year, it started with this man. Right. You know, everybody see everybody has seen his mugshot. Everybody's been paying attention to this trial. This was an opportunity for the defense to call Derek Chauvin where he could have explained his intent yes. that day, where he could have actually said, this was the worst day of my life. Right. I was trying to restrain a a person that I believed was on drugs and was being combative with me. I did not intend for him to die. This my, my life has been a tragedy ever since. It, it's really a way where he could have made a direct appeal right. to the jury to say, "Look, I may not be perfect. I may I, I I may have killed this man, and I regret every minute of it. But I did not. I'm not a murderer." Right, and and that's something that you know he will get a chance to say things like that at the sentencing argument, and that's what we're going to jump to next. Um, he's going to get a chance to explain to the judge what was going on and why, based on how he perceived things, he should be treated with leniency. That's right. that's the pitch he's going to make. But the benefit of having him do that in the trial is you have a shot of affecting the verdict. Yeah, I mean, no one even knows what this guy sounds like when he talks. Like, right? he's just a face in a courtroom without the ability to testify. I mean, it, you, you said he's, he's public enemy number one. I mean, his, his own wife left him like a week after right. this happened. So, I mean, he is, he is generally hated by just everyone out there. And, and he, to your point, he has not had a chance to put himself out there and show people a humanized sign of him, right. side of him, excuse me. Um, you know, so we don't, we're totally speculating on this. I mean, one thing to know about, um, a defendant's right to testify or not at trial, it actually is their decision. It's, right. it's the defendant's right. He, His attorneys may have been begging him to testify, and maybe he said, no, I'm not getting up there. I'm yeah. not doing it. And another, Who knows? Right. And another thing, there's a possibility, there's a possibility that what he told his lawyers off the record was so damning that the lawyer said, we can't put you on. Right. Because if, if, for example, he said, yep, I knelt on his neck and I knew I was killing him. I wanted him to die. I wanted him to die. If he said that, you're, his lawyer can't put him on the stand and have him testify differently than that. That would be suborning perjury. Right. And it's, it's unethical for an it, attorney. You can't, you, you, can't, you can't say, hey, Derek, just pretend like you never said that right, right. and go up, uh, go up and take the stand and say that you didn't intend for him to die. Yeah, and here's a script yeah. of, of what I want you to say. You, yeah. can't, you can't do that. So that's a possibility. You know, maybe how he would have testified would have just been damning right. to him in the case. Who knows? But we know what happened without him 
him testifying. That oh, didn't work out so well for him, did it? That yeah. I mean that that was my that's my bottom line is yeah. you, you really have so little to uh, lose. Honestly, here. I I thought I mean I didn't watch the whole trial, but um, I thought that the, the defense did a capable job, except for that one area. I I am I am unconvinced yeah. that that was the right move. You know the the defense. This was a tall order for the defense. Yeah. This was a difficult difficult. When you have a nine and a half almost minute video of the murder happening, right. it's tough to defend with that, especially when all three of these charges, none of them required an intentional act. Right. None of them required him intending to kill George Floyd. So now here we are, Colin, we are now eight weeks out from sentencing. That's right. So the judge has ordered something called a, for those of you watching the live stream of the verdict, the, the judge ordered something called a PSI, which is short for pre-sentence investigation report. That's going to be a report that's generated uh, so that the judge has additional background information on Derek Chauvin, his upbringing, his education, um, his social interactions, stuff like that. Any criminal history, if there is any. Exactly. And uh, sentencing is going to be uh, eight weeks from now, as Russ said. And here are the numbers. Second degree... Uh, felony murder that he was convicted of that caps out at 40 years. Yes. So he faces a possibility of 40 years for that one count. Um, second degree, uh, pardon me, third degree murder uh, caps out at 25 years. So he faces a possibility of a 25 years and second degree manslaughter uh, carries with a possibility of a 10 year sentence. We are believing that uh, these sentences can be run consecutively. And what that means is the judge can stack. The judge can give 40 years for the first count, 25 years for the second count, and 10 years for the third if he wanted to. If he wanted to. And it's, it's important to note, like, those are the caps on all of them, but the sentencing guidelines have... Um, guidelines for first offense with no prior criminal history. And those numbers are significantly lower. So you have, for the second degree murder, 40 years is the max. The presumptive under the sentencing guidelines is 12 and a half years. For the third degree murder, up to 25, presumptive again, 12 and a half. And then for second degree manslaughter, up to 10, presumptive is four. So these numbers are a fraction of what the maximums are. And your typical first offender with no criminal history whatsoever would get those those guideline sentences. Mm-hmm. The DA in this case, I guarantee it, is going to be asking for more because this be is aggravated. Well, yeah, not only that, but here's just an interesting aside. Um, normally, uh, a criminal defendant facing a trial has a right to have the jury decide whether or not there exists any aggravating or mitigating circumstances that could weigh in in, in their sentencing. Chauvin waived that. He, he waived the jury making those findings, uh, which means that a judge is going to have to decide if those factors exist. This guy's ha- uh, fate is in the hands of this judge. And if a judge finds that there's aggravated behavior that require him to, uh, I guess, sentence more... Than the than the guy harshly, then then he can do that. And and here's what the DA is going to say: He's going to say, "Judge, this was particularly aggravated because Floyd was particularly vulnerable. Right? He was handcuffed. He was on his face. That is an aggravator. Judge, this is aggravated because there were children present. Officer Chauvin killed a man in front of kids. Right? That is what they're going to say. And this judge." 
is going to agree. So we'll we'll see how it goes in eight weeks. Um, you know, it's uh, this is just a terrible case. Um, you know, but our hope is that the verdict is going to bring some peace to the community of Minneapolis, peace to the family of George Floyd. Um, it's just one of those things where there was never really going to be any happy ending to this case. Right. Uh, we can only hope that justice was done. So we'll see. Uh, we'll probably just do a quick update later once we uh, get the sentencing info in eight weeks. But um, in the meantime, yep, that's uh, that's a recap of. Derek Chauvin, and uh, I guess convicted murderer Derek yeah. Chauvin now, and now it's on to lighter. Yeah, it's things. on to. I think I think uh, maybe it's time to uh, move away from all of this humdrum and uh, solemn and, and, dull, and doldrums yeah. and ho hums. Uh, can I get some DCOTW, please? DCOTW. I ask and I deliver. Ask and you shall receive. Colin. That's right. Uh, enough of this legal mumbo jumbo. Uh, let's get let's get down to the brass tacks of why you people are actually listening, right? Well, we have another fresh DCOTW for your listening pleasure. For anyone out there who has not listened before, DCOTW is the dumb criminal of the week. Uh, and boy, do we have someone stupid, Russ. <laughs> Um, don't, you know, don't, we, don't we always? <laughs> <laughs> this time we're going, I don't believe we have done a DCOTW from South Africa, but that's where we're going today, Russ. So here it is, a uh, suspected car thief in Pretoria, South Africa, was foiled when the auto lock system of the car that he allegedly, allegedly, <laughs> there's nothing alleged about it at this point. Uh, uh, he allegedly broke into the trap and he was trapped inside. According to the star newspaper, which documented the whole charade, the man was stuck. This would be thief was stuck uh, for an hour and a half inside the car. He was attempting to steal shouting for help. And this is the best part. While amused passersby pointed and laughed. <laughs> oh, I mean, that's just brutal. Yeah. Not only did you just completely screw up the fact you get taunted. Maybe that's something he told the judge later. Judge, I was really embarrassed was, and humiliated. I, was, I mean, people I, were just laughing. At me. People I, were filming me. I paid my price, judge. <laughs> it was humiliating. The, the newspaper uh, reporting this uh, indicated that when the owner of the car returned, uh, she came up to the car, yelled. What are you doing in my car? <laughs> and then promptly unlocked the car at which uh, there were police officers who had already assembled and promptly took the car thief into custody. That that is awesome. So, so I get what do, I mean, what do we learn here, Russ? If you're going to steal a car, uh, better make sure that maybe you leave the car door open, perhaps. Uh, maybe it doesn't have auto lock. I, I, mean, I mean, don't steal the car in the first place. I guess how, let's start there. How about having a plan once you get in to hotwire it? Like he was inside. He couldn't drive away. What was he going to do? Did he have any plan beyond getting inside this car? <laughs> All right. Breaking. <laughs> Uh, check. Oh, stealing. Uh, no key right, fob. Right. Uh, keys are not under the uh, visor. Darn it! <laughs> Foiled again. <laughs> All right. Well, we've got to we've got to rate our South African uh, would criminal. Be, would, would be, be criminal. Yeah, right. I don't know if he even gets to be called right. criminal. Well, Russ, you go first. Well, All right. Scale from one to five knuckleheads. How stupid is this guy? Oh man, I mean, this guy's stupid. 
this guy is is stupid, stupid. I gave a full five knuckleheads last week, yeah. um, or last podcast. Um, I'm, I'm having trouble just rationalizing why this guy doesn't also deserve the full five. <laughs> and, you know, I'm going to give him five again. <laughs> I, mean, I look, think he earned every one of them. Right, right. I mean, you know, it, there was, like you said, no planning at all. No. Uh, there, there couldn't have been. Right. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> if, it, if he did plan it, <laughs> that would be the worst plan ever. But he gets in the car, like, to you, like you said, what was his plan without keys going to be? Was he going to just... Just hope that he could find keys inside the car. I really laughed that he couldn't get out. I really laughed that he, I don't know, didn't try and hide in the car from the onlookers. I would have at least tried to get under the seat. And Ooh, like, that, I don't know. That'd be scary as for. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm giving him the full five too. This Ooh, is, this, this guy is, gets a full 10. This is a full 10. This is the first time ever. I mean, I think that means he's to, the, to date anyway, the dumbest the, criminal the dumbest of the criminal week so far. Of the, of the podcast. <laughs> D-C-O-T-P. So, South African friend, we don't know your name, darn it, uh, but uh, that's probably better for you anyway. Um, but anyway, uh, that, that's a good one. So, uh, all right, well, I guess we're going to wrap it up. We hope that you guys have enjoyed our new Is This Legal segment, and we appreciate uh, our, our guests today and, of course, all future guests who are going to participate in that. Um, but check that out. And of course, if you need to contact us, we're all over the place. You can find us on Twitter at Is This Legal Pod. You can find us at our pay- Facebook page, Habits and McCallan. Um, you can uh, find our website. Yeah, we have a website, turns out. So check us out. And of course, we'll be back soon with another fresh episode of Is This Legal. Until then, signing off. Bye bye. You've been listening to Is This Legal. See you next time.